Well, whenever I, uh, I get downtown, whenever I go to a big city, used to be Calgary I used to go to once in a while, now it's uh, Edmonton that I get into a couple of times a year maybe, and you sometimes go down there and you see these construction sites, it seems like there's always new high-rise buildings that are, that are going up, and uh, I'm always amazed at the enormity of the hole in the ground before this building starts even getting above ground level. It's usually this huge crater that goes way below the ground. And it always, if you, keep, if you go on and get downtown often, it always seems to be a long time before the building gets above ground. Well, this week I looked at some pictures again of the construction of the new Freedom Tower in New York City. Now, that name might not ring a bell for a lot of you, but the words Ground Zero or 9-11 will sound familiar. The Freedom Tower is the new building that will replace the new World Trade Center, the two towers that were destroyed in those horrific bombings on September 11th, 2001. Um, and this Freedom Tower was in the news recently again, wasn't it, when uh, a Muslim group um, has talked about building a mosque right on, on that site. Well, this picture there is of the hole in the ground as that foundation was being built. Now, it's kind of difficult to, to see. Pictures obviously aren't uh, the same as seeing them in person. You can't get all the 3D effects there. But it was a huge hole. We can be sure of that. This building base has six floors below ground level. The amount of, when you think about it, the amount of concrete and, and reinforcement to fill that must be astounding. Construction of that started almost four and a half years ago, and it took almost two years to get to the point where they finally got to ground level in January of 2009. Well, in huge buildings like that, we know that time and attention is obviously given to that foundation. If the part of the building that is below the ground isn't strong, then the part that's above the ground will likely be compromised. And so a great deal of attention has to go into see has to go into seeing that the foundation is very secure and will hold the great size of that building. Well, this morning, as we think about Thanksgiving, I want us to pay attention to the foundational parts of our faith. Our Thanksgiving has to have a, a robust, strong, God-initiated, Christ-centered foundation in order for our faith to be to hold up. If all our reasons for being thankful are above ground level, th then things without any foundation, if they're those above ground level things, then they're in danger of crumbling. And so let me ask you this. The things that you are thankful for today, would you be thankful for them tomorrow if all of a sudden something terrible happened to disrupt your routine, everyday life? If you didn't have a strong foundation, would you still be thankful? If all your investments suddenly lost their value, or if you were suddenly forced to sell your home, as a lot of people have been forced to do in this economic climate, or if you suddenly discovered you had cancer, or if there was a tragic accident that happened where a life was taken away, would you still be able to be thankful. And so I want us to 
go down today underneath the surface. I want us to get down deep and to build up our foundation. And so before we start to pile on the different floors that represent the blessings in our lives, and, I, and I'm sure we could build a, a, a veritable skyscraper of blessings, I want us to go back to make sure that the stuff that sits underground is strong so that we can thank God for all the circumstances in our lives, not just the good things from our perspective. I want us to be able to do what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where he says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want us to be able to to agree with Paul and agree with all, all the lines of the song that we're going to sing at the end of the service today, Blessed Be Your Name. It goes like this. It says, In the land that is plentiful, when your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. But then the next part goes like this. And when I'm found in the desert place, when I walk through the wilderness, on the road marked with suffering, when the darkness closes in, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, I believe that the only way that we can truly give thanks in everything is when we get back to that foundation. When we go back and and rehearse in our minds who God is, and when we rehearse in our minds what God has done, and when we remind ourselves about Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf, when we take ourselves back to the foot of the cross, My aim today is that we would leave with the words of 2 Corinthians 9.15 echoing in our minds. Paul says there, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, number one, we're glad you're here. We welcome you. And I want to be able to offer you the opportunity to receive that gift today by relying totally on the life and work of Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. So that's my aim. Well, Colossians is a great place to go for a sermon on Thanksgiving Day. Paul comes back in this letter, the small letter, comes back to Thanksgiving over and over and over again. He mentions it at least once in all four chapters. I just want to show you that by by working backwards. Starting with chapter 4 and verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Then go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15. Shows up three times here, that attitude of thanksgiving that we're to have. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ Richly dwell within you with wisdom, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then to chapter 2. And I think I put verse 9 on the screen there, but it's actually verse, uh, verse 6 and, and verse 7 is where the thanks comes in. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with 
gratitude. This is Paul's instruction for us throughout Colossians. In everything we do, we have to add thanksgiving to it. It almost seems like thanksgiving is an essential addendum to all of our lives as Christians. Everything we're called to do, we ought to do it with thanksgiving, whether it's prayer, whether it's singing. And then he says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, it should all include thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is not just something that's reserved for the second, long, second weekend in October. Thanksgiving is something that should mark the life of a Christian all the time. And Christians especially, of all people, should be thankful people. It should leak out of the life of a follower of Christ. Thanksgiving is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5. Well, in the verses I read out of Colossians, Paul doesn't say much there about the reason for giving thanks. These verses kind of leave us wanting to know why and how and to whom. That was the thing that struck me uh, one Thanksgiving when I kind of went around and talked to a bunch of strangers in coffee shops, and I asked them what they were thankful for. And they could all give me an answer. They all had an answer for it. But just giving an answer for what you're thankful for just leaves something hanging, doesn't it? The question remains, so to whom do I give thanks? Being thankful implies that there must be someone to whom we ought to be able to say thank you. Well, Paul answers these questions in Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14. And that's kind of where we're going to set up camp this morning. Because here, Paul answers the who and the how and the why. This is some, great, some three verses here where we can find some footings. This is where we can find compacted gravel and rebar and, and concrete and pilings. This is the place you can go when the circumstances aren't going the way you expect them to be going. So we're just going to look at three verses. But let me go ahead and, and read them now, and then we'll dis- dissect it a bit so, so you can uh, kind of catch the weight of these truths. I'll pick up in, in mid-sentence in my Bible in verse 12 there. It says, giving thanks to the Father. This is all part of Paul's prayer here. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For, here's the ground for his thanksgiving, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how these verses are are beneath the ground foundation for Christian thanksgiving? Do you see how every word carries a, a ton of cement? Paul is praying here that we would concretize the reason for our thanksgiving so that we would be the kind of people that would be overflowing with gratitude as a result of God's grace. When we enlarge our understanding of what God has done through Christ, it will help us to be continually grateful to the Father, to our Heavenly Father. Well, I said that this answers the question of to whom do we give thanks and why we should give thanks. Well, the who there is answered right away in verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father. So before we answer the why question, I think it might be helpful to talk about this a bit. Our thanksgiving has to be directed towards God. He is the object of our thanksgiving. When we say we're thankful, it's not directed just into no one in particular, like the people in the coffee shops were doing. It's directed towards 
God. Our gratitude is God-word. It's God that has done something to merit our thanksgiving. I'm thankful not just for my job, not just for my friends. I'm thankful to God for my friends, for the job that he's given me, for my family. And notice how God is referred to here. He's referred to as the Father. That sort of accentuates the the personal, the relational aspect of God. To those of us who are Christians, God is our Father. And we can direct our thanksgiving to God the Father. To those who who are not Christians and to us before we became believers, God is not a Father. He's only a judge. Before you were a Christian, God was a judge and you deserved condemnation. But now through repentance, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God and he's no longer a judge for you but a father. There is no condemnation for, Romans 8 one says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are his child and he is your father. And so now that's how you can approach God. You, you come to God as your Heavenly Father, children, you that are left here, what are the first words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven. And when you're grateful for his amazing gifts, you give thanks to your Heavenly Father. So why should we give thanks to the Father? What has the Heavenly Father done for us? Well, we're about to find out. And keep in mind... The reason that we're thankful for these things is only because God could do them. There was no other way we would get these benefits. That's the essence of thanksgiving, isn't it? It's that we give gratitude to the one who has given us something that no one else could. And on top of that, we've, we give gratitude because it was a gift, that, and that gift was, was gratis. It was free. It was without price. Gratitude... Gratis, grace, those all are part of the same root. So what has our Father given us? What has our Father graced us with for which we can give him thanks? Well, three things here. The first one is that he qualifies the otherwise unqualified. He qualifies the otherwise unqualified. Verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has... Now he's going to tell us why. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what has our Father done to his children that merits our thanksgiving? Here it tells us he has qualified us. Now implied in that word is that one time we were unqualified. And it also implies that we could not qualify ourselves. We could only be qualified by the Father. That's why we give thanks to him. That word qualified there means to make sufficient or to make suitable or to make fit. Your Heavenly Father has done that for you. He has, by His grace, His free gift of grace, has made you fit. He has made you sufficient. You could never qualify yourself with, out of your own efforts. That's what this is saying. Only God could do that through Christ. And that's exactly what he did. You need to, we all need to today to feel the gravity of the fact that you were at one time unqualified in order to truly appreciate 
to truly have gratitude for what God has done in qualifying you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We've been looking at Ephesians for a long time, and so I can't help but going back there all, again. But Ephesians 2 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is how you can feel that gravity. You were by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 4.18 says you were darkened in your understanding and excluded from the life of God. And now you're qualified, it says. And so if you're a Christian, you can thank God for opening your eyes to see Christ. And when you repented of your sins and you put your faith in Christ alone, by virtue of that fact and through God's grace, giving you that faith, you are now qualified. He now qualifies you through faith in Christ. He qualifies the otherwise unqualified. For what are you qualified? Verse 12, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The idea of an inheritance highlights the fact, again, that God is our Father, doesn't it? A father leaves his child, usually if he can, an inheritance. Because Christians are now adopted sons and daughters of God, by virtue of that fact, they also now qualify for an inheritance. And we are even more than children, it says. We are saints. We have been set apart from the world and set apart to God. We have been made holy. That's what that means, to be a saint. And as saints, we have been qualified now for an inheritance. And it says we're saints in light. Saints in light. We have been enlightened. God has awakened our faith and caused us to see the light of the gospel. We are no longer in darkness. In Acts 26, 18, Paul talks about how God sent them to the Gentiles for a reason. He sends them to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light. And so whom do we have to thank for this? It's the Father again who has qualified us. Every good and perfect gift, James says, comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You, previously dead in your sins, previously unqualified for an inheritance, previously under condemnation, have been qualified by our Father and have been given the gift of an inheritance. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But there's more. While this is the first reason, this first reason for thanksgiving looks into the, into the present and farther into the future, these last two look, in, look back into what God has already done for us in salvation. I like how Spurgeon puts it. He says, Here is a mercy that looks back on the gloomy past and the dangers from which we have escaped. We would do well during this Thanksgiving to look back at our gloomy past and to thank God for his great mercy. And so not only does God qualify the otherwise unqualified, he also rescues the otherwise perishing. Look at verse 12. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And so in becoming our Father, God, in essence, went on a rescue mission. We are giving thanks to the Father, for for He delivered us. He, He rescued us. And we see there what He rescued us from. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. In verse 13. That means the power of darkness. We were caught up in this other magnetic sort of power, power of darkness. We were in the, in the bowels of a dark cave with no light anywhere. 
totally unable to get out. Have you ever been in a dark place where there's no light? Don't you feel that sense of helplessness? This is the, the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this world is powerful enough to hold people in its darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that the God of this world, talking about Satan, it's called here the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you have friends who just wonder what, Keep on praying for them, keep on praying for them, and they, they just never seem to, to catch on to see the light of the gospel. Here it tells us why. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So we need to keep on praying, keep on praying that God would draw them up unto himself and that, they would, that the blinders would be removed, that they would see light. The God of this world holds people in darkness. He wants to keep them blind. And if you're a Christian, again, it's a reminder of this is where you were. If you're still in the category of the unbelieving, this is where you are. The gospel has been veiled to you. Your, your mind has been blind, blinded. But it's out of this power, out of this domain, that God comes and rescues a people unto himself. He shines a light of rescue into that dark cave. And the light of the, that light is the glory of Christ. I read 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Well, two verses down in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The same God who created light out of darkness in Genesis 1. That's the God who opens the blinded minds of the unbelieving to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. He rescues, the blind, he rescues the blind from the God of this world, from the domain of darkness, and opens their eyes and their minds to see and to understand Christ. We know the most well-known verse in the Bible, right? God, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God rescues the perishing as they trust as they repent of their sins and as they trust in Christ and as they see the glory of Christ. So Christian, how can you do anything but thank God? You were dead in your sins, but while you were yet sinners, God in his love sent his son to die and now we are rescued from the domain of darkness. How good is that? And we are rescued from God's deserving righteous wrath and judgment against sinners. How can we do anything but be thankful and grateful to God for his great gift, and for this great rescue. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And if you are not a believer, maybe, just maybe, these words are God's way of opening your eyes to see Christ and of opening your mind to comprehend the fact that he will rescue you from the power and, 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 and from the allure of darkness. John tells us that, that people love the darkness. We pray that you might be rescued from that if you turn to Christ. Well, the final reason that we give thanks is because, that he, because he transfers the otherwise immovable. He transfers the otherwise immovable. The end of verse 13 there, it says, he, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so it says there that a transfer has taken place. It's a removal from one place to another place. You think of those words that kind of brings up images some of you that might be a little bit older, well, they've got movies now out too of, of this thing, but the Star, the Star Trek thing, isn't it? Remember the, the transporter that they have had in those old episodes? Beam me up, Scotty, those words. Well, it's being translated, transported from one place to another. That's what they were doing there. Now, I'm not a Trekkie, and I'm not sure that, that I've watched uh, all of ten episodes in my life Actually, when we were down in Okotoks, we lived pretty close to a city called Vulcan. And uh, they had all sorts of people with big ears and all sorts of things there. But, uh, but I, I wasn't one of those people. Maybe some of you, I don't want to offend any Trekkies in here. But, uh, but what I do remember from that show is that when they beamed someone from one place to another, do you remember that the camera always kind of stayed on the place that they came from? And there was these little sort of special effects that as many special effects as they could have back in the 60s and 70s, but they always had this, this sort of special effect. They showed the place, zeroed in on the place that they came from, just for a couple of seconds, almost to show that that person was not there anymore. They were now somewhere else. Well, that's a good way for us to think about this in order to heighten our sense of thankfulness. We were in one place. We were in the domain of darkness, but we aren't there anymore. We have been transferred, we've been beamed up by our Father through His Son to a different place, namely to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so we need to, again, to feel the weight of that transfer. In the ancient world, this word transfer was used to describe the displacement of one country, displacement from one country to another, once this other country had been conquered. Now, I have relatives, even my parents were, uh, my mom, I'm not sure about my dad, but my mom was displaced. She was a displaced person. That's what they called them. Um, she grew up in a, in a German section of, of Poland, of what's now Poland. It was called Prussia, but was displaced from there during the war and, had to, and ended up back in, in, in Germany. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the image that's here. Everything from one country was plundered and taken to a new country. You can think about, even in the Old Testament, back in Joshua, when they, when they conquered the promised land, the nation of Israel. That's what they do, did. They, they went into one tribe, they plundered it, and, they, uh, and the people were displaced to another place. Or even the exile, later on in the Old Testament, the same sort of image. People were exiled. First, Israel was, was exiled to, to Babylon, and then Judah, the southern kingdom, was exiled to, to Assyria. People were taken somewhere else. But that's the image. When God saves you, he takes all of you and moves you from one domain now into another. Another Old Testament illustration is how God took Israel, his chosen people, from slavery in Egypt. He rescued them in a, in, in a miraculous, supernatural way through the Red Sea and brought them into the promised land. Well, the word that was used for that transfer there is redemption. Love how we sang that song this morning. I will sing of my Redeemer. It's the redeeming of slaves purchased with a price by a new owner. Well, it's no coincidence that Paul uses that same word there in verse 14. How did our Father transfer us? Well, it tells us He did it through His Son, who was the purchase price, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
You see, we were slaves too. We were slaves to sin, unable to escape, immovable on our own, stuck in that slavery to sin. But we were bought by God. The purchase price or, or the ransom payment was his beloved son. And by virtue of his death and the shedding of his blood, we now have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that brings us to the place where we need to be today when we think about why we give thanks because it brings us right to the cross. We all have to contemplate. We all have to come to terms with what happened there on the cross. The cross is where this rescue and this transfer happened in the person and in the accomplishment of Christ the Savior. We were rescued. We were delivered. We were saved. And in the person of Christ, a transfer occurred. And listen to this transfer. This is most important part of our salvation and the part that should just cause us to almost fall to our knees to give thanks. It's actually a two-way transfer. When Jesus suffered and died on that cross, your sins were transferred to the sinless, perfectly righteous Christ. But in addition to that, Christ's perfect righteousness, the perfect life that he lived, was transferred to you. And so when he dies, all those Sins get nailed to the cross. And they stay there. Even as Christ, three days later, is raised from the dead and is alive today. Actually, that's explained very graphically just over in the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. If you want to read about that. So how can we do anything but be grateful for this indescribable, incomprehensible, undeserved gift of salvation? When you think about it, once we realize this is all God's doing, that it's the Father that has done it, that we could never do this on our own, that we could never do anything to merit this kind of action from God, that this was purposed by God from the foundations of the world, that God has acted in love so that he does not have to make us the objects of his wrath, then the only response is one of gratitude and thanksgiving. We are qualified. Because of what Christ has done. We have been rescued from darkness. We've been transferred to the kingdom of his son. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Christian, I urge you today to take time to think about the blessings that God has given you above the ground, as it were. But take time today and tomorrow and all the time to, po- to ponder the most amazing blessing, the gift of God's grace in saving you and in rescuing you and in transferring you and in qualifying you to share in the inheritance of, this, of the saints as a saint. Befitting of a child of God. And then as you follow Christ in every day of your life, let your life be marked with perpetual thanksgiving. Whatever you do in word and in deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And if you're here today as an unbeliever, this might be the day that you understand that you can direct thankfulness to God now. It's not just thankfulness in general. You have a place, a person in which 
you can direct your praise and your thanksgiving. The giver of all good things. But most importantly, this might be the day when you can start to be thankful for God's greatest gift. The gift of salvation which comes through his son. I pray that you might understand that you are created in the image of God and that you were made for God. I pray that you might understand that you have sinned against a holy God and that you can't be reconciled to him apart from what God has done. And I pray that you might understand that you don't have to stay that way. God has provided a remedy for that condition. In his great love, he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for your sins. But you need to receive that gift. And the way to do that is to repent of your sins, to be sorry for your sins, and then to to turn away from those sins and to turn to Christ in faith. That's what repentance is. Putting all your trust in in this Savior and in what he has accomplished for you on the cross. I believe that God has brought you here today to hear his word. And I pray that you would respond in repentance and faith, thanking him for his gift of salvation. And when you do that, you too can join those that are sitting around you today who are giving thanks to God the Father who has brought us out of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Let's pray together.